Hey, I'm Lynn Rogala. And I'm Ali Diliberto, and we are coming to you from the ladies' room. So we can talk about removing stupid, frustrating, and toxic shit from the world in a way that's not prim enough for the dinner table. Okay, welcome back to the ladies' room where Allie just promised to behave herself. Only in relation to wrapping presents while we're on the call. Yes, only in relation to not making sounds that make me have to edit the podcast. Right. Does that include fart noises with my armpit? I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure. not a teenage boy, so I actually don't know how to do that. Oh, I do because I'm not a teenage <laughs> boy, but I was the I was the firstborn granddaughter on my mom's side, and my mom has two brothers, an older and a younger. She was in the uh-huh. middle between two boys, and um, they taught me. In fact, I was just about to say when you said our farting armpit noise that I did that for show and tell once in elementary school. You did not. <laughs> I totally did because my uncles taught it to me, right? And everything they teach me is cool. And so I went to the <laughs> school and I was like, here's this thing. And there's this other thing, and this might not translate on the podcast. And I don't know if I've ever done this for you, where they taught oh me this like pantomime you do where you sew your hand together. Have you have I ever done this for you? What? So you pantomime. I think I know this what you're not, talking about. This might not translate on the podcast, but you pantomime that you're sewing your fingers together. So you like tug the string and you move your hand up in the air. You sew all your fingers together and then you punch it through your palm and then you pull and you like wave like your hand. Mm-hmm. Is, and there's all these different things you can do. And my uncles taught it to me when I was five. Um, and my kindergarten teacher was amazing. I still remember her name, Miss Timmer, and she became Mrs. Benningfield. And she was super young. It was her first year out of college. And my mom said that I did that in show and tell. And oh serious as a heart attack because I was five, right? And I didn't understand that it was funny. I was just doing it. And she had to get someone to come and watch the class so that she could, could compose herself in the teacher's lounge because she was laughing so hard. She was crying. (laughs) She told my mom, she's like, I could not hold it together. I had to get someone to come and stay with the class for a minute. And she was just like doubled over screaming with laughter in the teacher's lounge. That's fantastic. Yes. I do know how to pop my armpit. And I don't know if I could still do it, but as a kid, I knew how. All right. Well, there you go. Let's hear those fart noises, Lynn. I'm just I don't kidding. Know if I can. <laughs> Plus, I my mic. still have those skills, but... Yeah, my mic is so good. Um, I used to be able Ooh, to like whistle yeah. with my fingers too, but I can't do that anymore. I lost that skill at some point. I don't know why. John yeah. and I went to Moab the over the last weekend with um, a couple friend of ours, and they're gay, and. Um, now, why was I telling you this story? I can't help. You. I literally, what were you? I literally just completely forgot. I, was I needed about to tell you about whistling. My, oh yes, like, thank you. And they whistle for each other. They have like a way of whistling that they both know that it's them, and they can do it in a huge crowd. I've watched them do it. It's very cool. But the one guy says to me, you know, like he's whistling for Sean, and then he's like, "Why don't you?" He tried to whistle at my husband. And I was like, oh, bareface isn't trained for that. <laughs> He's like, well, why don't you, why don't you guys, you know, do that? It's great. And I was like, well, because I cannot whistle like that. So there you go. I can barely like put my, I'm like a four-year-old, you know, when they're learning to whistle, like spits coming out. That's yeah. how it is when I whistle. 
Um, I had a friend right after college that his dad used to whistle like that for him and his brother when they were little. And he said they yes. were, they were in a bookstore as, you know, college age kids. And his dad did it partly as a joke. And they both went running. He's like books we were looking at flying through the air. <laughs> and his dad was laughing because they were so conditioned. And um, something like that happened to me too. Cause like I have a half sister and a half brother who are much younger than I am and 20 years younger than I am. And I used to go visit them. My dad, when um, my dad and, and my stepmom and the kids, when I was in college and they were really small. So I went to my dad's house. He was staying, he was at my grandma's and um, like he was, he, he lived across state. So he would come and visit. Um, so I went there and they were having lunch and my little sister was not quite two. So she was kind of farting around in her chair. You know, she's standing up and moving all around. And my dad's like, sit down, sit down. And that conversation is happening. And then my conversation with my grandma is happening where she's like, oh, we have food on the table. Come and sit down. I'm like, no, I'm not really hungry. She's like, come and sit with us. <laughs> no, I just ate grandma. It's fine. And so these two conversations are happening. And then my dad goes, sit down. And I sat right down in the chair <laughs> and he laughed. He goes, not you. <laughs> well, sorry. I'm, trained. <laughs> I'm better trained than the little one is. So <laughs> And there was a time when my little brother was doing the same thing. He was behind the chair and my dad's like, get out of there or whatever. And he turns to me and he says, that's my last chance voice. I go, I know <laughs> you don't have to tell me like, Ryan, get out of there. Get out now. Dad, that's dad's <laughs> last chance voice. Right. Like, Hey, uh, I've heard this many times. Yes. I very rarely talk to Riley that way, but she one time said, um, I know to get moving when you use your whippy voice. What's a whippy voice? The whippy voice. Oh, like I'm going to whip you with my voice. Yeah. Like my voice whips, like get moving like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Um, I didn't didn't know she called it my whippy voice. No one called, you know, no one calls me Allison, right? Like literally the only time in my life I've ever really been called Allison was like when I was in trouble when I was a little kid, I've Mm -hmm. always been called Allie. So um, we were playing that with the same couple backgammon which is a new obsession I probably need to talk about at some point on the podcast but um I was you know kicking some kicking this guy's butt and he goes Allison and I and I just about like jumped and like it evoked like he used just the right tone that my mom would have used to really get my attention (laughs) I mean pee your pants pee your pants you know I was, um, when I was in high school, I used to occasionally volunteer in, in the junior church, right. In the, like the, the elementary school church with other, my friends who were in high school. And we were talking about the power of, I don't know if it's still true, right? Like I was raised really strict. So I don't know if this is still true, but we were talking about the power of, um, when you tap a kid on their shoulder, on their shoulder, when they're messing around and they know they're not supposed to be. And one of my friends right. captured it so well. He's like, I know that feeling hot and cold all at once. I said, yes, that is exactly <laughs> what it feels like. You're messing around in a church and you feel a tap on your shoulder, hot and cold all at once. Instant shot of electric adrenaline. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. So, all right. You what are we going to talk about today? Well, I was just going to say, you have forbidden me from talking about like the bullshit patriarchy and the exploitative system we live in because it's Christmas Eve Eve and we need to talk about something more cheerful. When it's this true. And when this I live, haven't wrapped one present yet, so I really don't have the emotional energy for the patriarchy right yes. now. 
Yes, because I was listening. Plus, I'm trying to figure out how to get them to let me in. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> how did I consolidate some power? For Christmas, um, I've let myself into the patriarchy for just no. a few weeks of relaxation. You, you already live in the patriarchy. That's the problem. I mean, yes, I know. That's... You just don't have, you want to like stuff a sock down your pants and put on a little mustache and live in the patriarchy like that, right? Right, like that, yeah. Um, cause I was listening to our postcards from the patriarchy and I find myself when I listen back to that podcast, arguing with you. So it'll be fun to, to revisit that topic. I'm like, Oh, wow. anyway, so we decided to talk about something more cheerful and I proposed abundance. Is that acceptable as a Christmas Eve Eve topic? Well, we agreed on this. I agreed to this only as long as I could somehow talk about my current new macaroon obsession. Yes, that's, and that's fine. So and we'll weave that in. I told you I was going to tell you a story and now I can't remember what it was. Anyway, oh, I know that's sad, isn't it? But I started, I started listening. So two things have been happening in the last week or two that kind of relate to abundance. One is I'm starting to really get in touch with doing what I want. <laughs> and that sounds, that sounds different from how I mean you've it. You've been so bratty. I feel like you've known. No, I know <laughs> what you're talking about. I am not bratty. I'm actually extremely well-behaved. That's part of the problem. You're like a well-behaved princess who still gets away with things she wants on the side. Mostly. <laughs> so, um, but that, that there's a place where like I first said out loud about a week or so ago, I told you this, but I first said out loud about a week or so ago, I want to make millions of dollars working 20 hours a week. That's what I actually want. I want that. And okay. not because I want to buy a private jet or anything like that. But even if I did, who cares? But you might want to buy me a private jet. I might want to buy you a private. I was going to get you an island instead. Oh, right. You spoiled the surprise. But anyway. Oh, well. You better make more than millions or else it'll be a crappy island. Then I want a nice (laughs) island when you buy me one. Yeah. So, um, but there's something like, we're not really allowed to want what we want. And especially women aren't allowed to have desires. And I'm not getting into a patriarchy discussion, but there definitely is a place where you're supposed to just be good and never want anything. And that even comes into like sexuality, right? Like you're not supposed to want to have sex. You're supposed to you know, put up with it because your husband wants it. That kind of bullshit that we were raised in. More like be pure until like that's more. Even then I think you aren't supposed to want it. Okay. Like you're not for its own sake. You're supposed to want it because your husband wants it. You want to be a good wifey. Anyway, so we're we're drifting, we're drifting into patriarchy territory and I promise we wouldn't. So anyway, so I, I I was talking to a friend of mine. I was actually getting some coaching friend of ours, actually a mutual friend of ours. And saying like, there's something really beautiful and powerful about getting in touch with your desires when they're in alignment with who you really are and your purpose in the world. That sounds really airy fairy, but like who I am is the possibility of freedom. And so when I think about making millions of dollars, when it's in alignment with being a cause for freedom, it opens up like just crazy rivers of what could be possible with that kind of, and you and I have talked about, oh, here comes patriarchy again. You and I have talked I know, about the, the studies where when money ends up in the hands of women, that it ends up contributing more to community, like they invest it in communities and families and all this other stuff. And so thinking like, okay, if I have this desire, it came from somewhere. And if I have a purpose and I can get my desires and my purpose in alignment, there's something really powerful there. So I started listening to this book called The Soul of Money. Have you ever heard of this book? I feel like I've heard of it. All right. I, I don't to, think I've read it. 
let, let, give me one sec and I can look up who Lynn Twist is her name. Okay. Um, and I'm only a couple chapters into it. I'm in the chapter where she goes and meets Mother Teresa. So, so far it's been really fascinating. It's a story? No. It's like it's, written as an allegory or? No, no, that no. That really happened. No, that really happened. She, so okay. it's written, it's, I'm only in the first part, but it's written kind of like as her journey through discovering, because what she's done in her, her professional life is um, millions of dollars of fundraising is her main thing. And so through the course of her, and, and she's out to like, she named five causes, but she did it really fast. So I don't remember all of them, like to eradicate world hunger and opportunities for women. I forget what the all were, all of them were. Um, and so she's got these like causes that she's out for. And then she also has raised hundreds of millions of dollars for these causes. And so through her journey of that, like through her work, She's encountered all these different ways that people believe about money and what we all believe about money and abundance and scarcity. And so she's, the book is a nonfiction book, but it's told through like what I discovered about blah, 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 by meeting with so-and-so and what I discovered when I went to India because blah, 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 blah. It's kind of like that. Okay. Um, but like been, a chapter at a time. Yeah. Like, like here, let me read you. Like I'm, I'm on the scarcity chapter. I just started the scarcity chapter. Wait, you're actually reading this book, not an audio. No, I'm listening to it on audio. Are you crazy? Okay. Um, so like the first part is love's lie, love lies in a great awakening. So it's about discovering that money is an idea and it doesn't really exist and all this stuff. Scarcity, insufficiency, sufficiency, change the dream. Like these are the, the things. And she's talking about um, the law of abundance of course. And maybe you could elaborate on this more because now we're in, like when we talk about empathy, I lead the way. And when we talk about gratitude, you lead the way. And when we talk about Aww. scarcity, I have a lot to say. And when we talk about abundance, you have a lot to say. Um, but she's talking about the law of abundance and that how our scarcity mindset interferes with that. And it's interesting because she mentioned something that's really similar to what we talked about once on the podcast when we were doing, when we did about living with no regrets. And that, um, and I told the, the story of the monks who like offer the opportunity to give alms, right? That the request for alms is an opportunity, like right. a gift to the giver. And you brought up fundraising and she talks about that too, right? And um, her conversation with Mother Teresa was so interesting because they, they had this encounter. She was at the orphanage and then there was this uh, rich couple who came through and like kind of manhandled mother Teresa to get a photo, um, and laughed. And she, the woman writing the book was like really affronted by that. And she ended up having this conversation with mother Teresa and mother Teresa was like, yeah, you're really in connection to the cycle, the damaging cycle of poverty. And you can generate your compassion there, but you don't have any connection to the damaging cycle of, of like leisurely wealth. I, I forget how she said it, right. but it was like, not wealth that you've created, but wealth that you just kind of live in the way some people live in poverty. And she mm -hmm. said, you can't generate compassion there. And what you really have to see is like everybody, whether they're in a cycle of poverty or a cycle of wealth, they're both equally worthy and equally de deserving of compassion and both in need and both have something to give. It was just really interesting. I'm not all the way through it, but I thought it'd be interesting to kick off um, a conversation about abundance as we sit here, like 
winter solstice was this week and we're now moving into the longer days and Advent is almost over our season of expectation and we're about to go into a season of feasting and celebration with the 12 days of Christmas. So it just seemed like a fun topic for now, even though I can't resist mixing in the patriarchy. I know. Stop. Stop. I can't. It's 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 like the beaver call where it's just like beaver, beaver, patriarchy, patriarchy. Stop. My safe word. (laughs) It's it's the biggest problem. Anyway, we're not going to talk about it. But anyway, so thoughts (laughs) about (laughs) abundance. Yeah, I'm going to just ping pong the ball over to you. Or just okay. Well, riff off anything. I <laughs> Do you like? I'm like I don't know. I don't know. I don't have anything to say. You have to say because I need a drink of water. Okay. I mean, I don't. I don't have anything to say about it. Like I don't. I don't. I think it's interesting that you think I have more to say about abundance because I. I don't know if that's true. Like I think we're both in this interesting place where we're going through this process of pushing up against our upper limits and breaking down some of the, and I mean, our own financial upper limits are way higher than most people's. But Mm -hmm. when I think about abundance, like I get, okay. So I guess I do. My perspective about abundance is this, that I really, when it, during the first few years of my original marriage. So the first year we basically went bankrupt and you know, like I had a really good job for my age and I made way more money than my friends. And like, I got married and we were in this huge crisis and, um, we just, we just like hand over fist spent money fighting for the kids and all the, you know, all the stuff. I became a stay at home mom. Like it was just a crazy year. So I went from being really rooted in my own ability to provide for myself and, you know, very, you know, I still think I'm very highly competent, you know, in that, way I didn't need like you know a partner to provide financially or whatever um and then the net then we moved then the year after so we, I like lost everything I mean relatively I mean not my children or my happiness or until we provide for myself I guess but um I got really detached from money in that way because I was very clear like my sense of peace wasn't re- wasn't connected to that at all and um then the next year, the next five years, we doubled our income every year for five years. And we were living in Montana, which was um, a state where we, um, Montana was like, oh, Montana, I'm sure still is. If you, you know, like take out all the Californians who are like sort of living there, but, you know, making all their money somewhere else. Um, like one of the lowest income earning states in the country every, every year. So we, um, you know, we lived like essentially a very, we had the ability to live a very extravagant lifestyle. And then I, we've been on the other side of that. Like, you know, we took on tons of debt. We not being, you know, inside of what I wanted to be doing, of course, um, building a company. And I think I just got really detached from it because I really resonate with, you know, there's a quote in the Bible that Paul says, you know, like I'm happy in plenty and I'm happy in want. And I, um, I don't know, I think I wrapped myself around that idea that there's part of me that lives somewhere else and that uh, the abundance is the ability maybe to be detached from it for me. Yeah. The yeah, real I'm... abundance is maybe the detachment. Yeah. yeah and that's... maybe the lack of entitlement. Yeah. And like, I, 
I have much more scarcity view on things. Um, but that, no, that's exactly what she's talking about too, right? Like there is this abundance that flows and we can hinder it. And then when we, when we don't have those hindrances, then it just naturally flows. And I think it flows like that peace, not just abundance itself, but the peace that comes from like what you were just saying. Sorry, yeah. I don't. From I like don't the sound... detachment or. Yeah. No, I think it, it's interesting because I'm like, I don't know. I don't have anything to say about this. I'm like, oh yeah, I do have a lot of, but it's interesting because it's more about, I, I didn't connect it with abundance as much as I connected it with just, you know, it, that I'm detached from the abundance, like from it in some sense. And I hope that's still, I hope that's still the case because I could have nothing. And I also had this really lovely experience in my twenties, um, early twenties where I owned like a little cleaning business that somebody kind of gave me with the expectation that I would like pay them like percentage of commissions or fees or whatever from my clients for a period of time. And then, you know, I promptly like ran that like 20 year old would. And then um, eventually I sold off my clients and stuff. And then I traveled for an extended period of time, like months and months. Like I drove like 20,000 miles, um, you know, from Colorado to Florida to all the way up the Pacific Coast Highway into Canada, spent months camping and whatever. But I had like kind of a really frugal budget. Um, I mean, I think I was living off of like $600 a month. Like I had just this little chunk of, and that was gas and I was camping and whatever, but um, I was so content during that time. And all I had was what, what, what I had in the suitcase. And right. I think that theme in my life, I mean, I can remember how much you and I have talked about, like God has brought me back over and over to seasons where. I'm like travel light, you know, like what we lived in Europe for three months with literally, well, maybe 12 weeks with like error, not um, 10 weeks with like literally a carry on suitcase. And some of those times are like the happiest, most peaceful like times. And so I know that there's really the sense of, I like my really nice apartment that I live in now, you know, with the rooftop fireplace and it's like, you know, patio and pool and all the fancy things that are here I love all those things but also I'm just like I know that I can be very content with very little and that that isn't where it comes from yeah and I think that means you receive things like a rooftop garden even better right they, it occurs more yeah, luxury I like that idea and it's funny because when you're saying that you're reminding me of um when I was in college in junior year I lived in France um for a semester and my I was on scholarship and my scholarship yes covered... I know how we're going to bring out macaroons okay anyway continue. okay all right <laughs> uh, I couldn't afford macaroons but uh <laughs> and my I was on scholar I went to college on scholarship and my scholarship covered my room and board I lived with a family and um and they you know they had to feed me and I also had like uh, a card where I could buy lunch at the university like basically my living was covered and so, and I didn't have hardly any money. Um, and I remember I was with a girlfriend and we had spring break coming up and we decided to go to Ireland for spring break. And, um, cause we're like, when else could we get to Ireland for the cost of a ferry? Right, it's right, right there. Like yeah. take the train and take the ferry. So we sat down we did our whole budget and we said, okay, we can go for four days or whatever it was. And then we checked the ferry schedules. Maybe it was three days and we checked the ferry schedule and the ferry only ran once a week. 
are like, let's go anyway. <laughs> so we didn't have enough money to survive. Like, I mean, we had enough money to survive obviously, but so we went there and like, we went to some hostel and we, they fed us, um, like a pretty substantial breakfast because it's Ireland. So like a big thick piece of Irish bread or whatever. And every day we would go and we would buy a five pound bus ticket in the different direction. Like, we're like, how far can we go on five pounds? And so we right. would ride the bus, like we, you know, we talk about right. a shoestring budget, right? Like, so we would just ride the bus and then we would find a grocery store and we would eat fruit for lunch. We'd walk all around, we'd ride back. And then we would find some place where we get dinner for like $5. Like we bought like a Burger King burger or whatever. We didn't drink any beer. We didn't have money for any of it. Um, and right. I lost 12 pounds that week, right? Like we weren't eating enough. We were walking everywhere. And it was one of the most fun vacations that I've ever been on. And there's obviously parts of it that I wouldn't, you know, luxury aside, I would not currently enjoy a vacation where I slept in a room with 10 women on bunk beds, right? Like I just don't <laughs> sleep the way right, that right. Totally different. Yeah. But I, I still, in fact, I was just thinking about it yesterday. I'm like, oh, I really, what a fun time we had. And we, we went to free museums and like, we went to this church. Um, I can't remember the name of it because the place we were staying, we stayed in Cork and then we just went, you know, $5 in every direction. Um, and there's this famous church in Cork and I can't remember the name, name of it right now, but you could get in for like two pounds or something like that. And they had an old King James Bible, like an original King James Bible. So we wanted to get in and see that, but like for an extra 50 pence, you could play the bells. Um, and they're famous. <laughs> like the bells of this church are there's a song written about them, a poem written about them, whatever. And so they're really famous. We're like, well, heck, what? Nothing. Oh. <laughs> I said, um, are you going to sing it? No, no, no. I don't know the song, but I just saying how famous they are. Right. So for 50 okay. pence, you could extra 50 pence, you could go upstairs and they had the bell ropes. They weren't huge. They were like, you could just pull them with one hand and they were okay. lettered. And then they had these, um, they had these pieces of cardboard with different songs on them. Right. <laughs> And we played and we were like peeing our pants laughing. There were other tourists waiting their turn. We're like, do you want to play next to know we're enjoying you so much? Just play another song. And we played like, oh, Susanna. And so I still remember that trip. And I think, I don't know, I think we spent a hundred dollars, not counting the ferry ticket for the whole week. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it doesn't really like when you, when you're determined to enjoy yourself and to relish the experience and to really like abundance, isn't a five-star hotel necessarily. Right. It can be. Um, but I don't know. I, you just made me want to tell that story because when you were talking about driving all around, living on a shoestring, you just reminded me of one of the most fun trips I've ever been on. Yeah. I mean, but did that detach you from something? I mean, or like so, attach you to something different. Like maybe that's what abundance is, is like the ability to be attached and detach the best things. I think, I think what there really was inside abundance there was we looked at what we could afford and then realized that wasn't possible and then decided to go anyway and trust that mm. the experience, like, like we have enough money for a four day experience or whatever it was. Right. And, and it, it was really that the ferry ran every eight days, like it ran every Monday, something like that. Right. So we could have said, oh, we can't have this trip because on paper 
we can't afford this trip, but we just decided, fuck it. Like we can (laughs) have this trip, right? We can have this trip. And I don't know that the experience would have been that much different. Honestly, like if we had doubled our budget, would we have more fun, less fun? Like we just determined that we were going to go to Ireland. We were going to have a blast. Yeah. And that's what we did. Yeah. So you just do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And lost 12 pounds. Maybe I should go to Ireland again. (laughs) Let's both go on the Ireland diet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Walking around the Irish countryside, eating fruit for lunch is a, a diet I recommend. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's something about, you know, like I think about just even recently, like all the time I spent in Italy and like not having a car and just also like often not spending money on the bus and just walking everywhere for the, just for the experience of it. Like I was like, I'm going to rein in my spending a lot while I'm here. And, you know, during the seven weeks or whatever that I was there by myself in 2019, I didn't, like I tracked everything I spent and like really kept close track. Like I kept a little log and it was like a win if I didn't spend money on anything really. Um, and then, so often I wouldn't even take the bus cause I was like, well, that saved me three euros, you know, or whatever. But, or if I did, it was like a big thing. Like now I'm going to go all the way to the edge of town or whatever, but just some of those things, like maybe not needing it and being able to delight in that too. Yeah. Um, you were, you're reminding me Yeah, my mom was a single mom, um, from like the time I was eight until I was 16. Right. And we were broke. Like I didn't even realize until I was much older, like how really broke we are. She really held it together. We did not have anything, but I never noticed. Right. And she lived the life that she wanted. Like mm. she lived a life hundred percent on her terms. But I remember her telling me really early on when things really were thin, And she said, sometimes I used to treat myself by getting um, full service gas and (laughs) she would buy, do you remember those uh, chocolates? They're called ice cubes. They're like a, they're a cube shape. They're called ice cubes, but they're a piece of milk chocolate. And so she would spend a nickel. I can't picture them at all. Well, it's just like a little tiny one bite of chocolate. Um, So she would spend a nickel on an ice cube. Cause that's how much they cost then. And she would pay for full service gas. And she said, I would sit there in the driver's seat and I would just savor every bite of that ice cube while someone else pumped my gas. And that was, you know, luxurious self-care because she just invented what there was to invent. Yeah. Also, I'm very aware that what I've described isn't like none of the scenarios or describing any level of suffering financially. Like mm-hmm. I have for sure, like being in serious debt, like all those kinds of things, like those are like, there's a real suffering and like, you know, and also like if I've never, you know, if I was really hungry or like I couldn't care for my children or like something like that, like that isn't what I'm talking about. Like that's certainly like, you know, not, um, like I'm not making light of those things. I'm saying like, but I could get a suitcase in Italy for, you know, yeah. like I was, yeah. it's just that I went from, you know, a much more expensive lifestyle to a very inexpensive lifestyle. Like, and I've been all around with sometimes what's felt like very little control over those things. And so it has left me with a level of like being sure that I'll be happy. And I don't know, I do feel like God will provide sort of, there's like this, but it's not like in a Pollyanna way because 
I also know that somehow in the history of the world, like, you know, like I, I, we have a history of atrocity and people starving and all kinds of real horrors. And I don't assume that like, I hold my little cross and sing about how Jesus loves me and means that I won't ever participate in any kind of real suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm glad you said that because to be very clear, um, we're not saying any of this to diminish the real need. There are people who go to bed without enough food. There are people who die of starvation. There are people who die because they don't have clean water. And that is not to be like, just think more positively and the abundance will flow to you and you'll have clean water. Like there's actually some, but it's more like the mother Teresa thing where she said, you know, cycles of poverty and suffering were really present too, but cycles of wealth and suffering were not present too. And we have to solve, and it, it sounds a little weird. I think, I think only mother Teresa could get away with saying that, right? Because <laughs> otherwise it's kind of like poor little rich girl. But what she was pointing to is like the people in the story who manhandled mother Teresa, like literally in a way that might have physically hurt her. Like they, they, mm-hmm. she has osteoporosis and they lifted her chin mm. up to look at the camera. Like they grabbed her chin and forced it up, even though she was hunched over at that point. So I'm sure that didn't feel great. Um, but she was very present to the suffering of those people too. And that suffering is independent. I mean, there's certainly lots of suffering that money can solve, but there's suffering that money causes also. And that's what she was kind of trying to get present to is like, there's this messed up flow of whatever abundance and money is because money doesn't really exist. Right. Um, and that there's suffering everywhere that the flow is, you know, like a person who hoards has some kind of human misery associated with that hoarding the same way a person who lives in lack and, and hunger. Um, and I'm glad it's mother Teresa who said it and not me, right? Like poor little rich boy, but there is something really true there. Like that, that there's human misery when the flow is hampered. Um, that I thought was really interesting. I'm looking forward to finishing the book. Like, don't you love that my consultant nature is coming out? And I'm like, I'm two chapters into this book. We can talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. I mean, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to talk about the one I finished about the women data gap, which talk about another day. Um, But I just thought it was really interesting. And as we go into like a C, I love, I've been getting, now I'm just babbling. I've been getting a lot more in touch with the church calendar. I wasn't raised Catholic, not even remotely, um, but I love the seasons of the traditional church calendar. And I've been listening. And I think our lives are so unmarked in a way now, like a lot of the things that we would like to mark the rhythm of our lives, like are kind of dissipated. Right. So I think there's this um, like desire to return to some of those rhythms. Yeah. Like, Like, or have some rhythms. I, I have been listening to so many conversations on the spectrum of like from the spec from one end of the spectrum of Jesus is the reason for the season all the way to the other end of the spectrum of like, I celebrate Yule. Right. And I land somewhere in the middle. Like I don't, I'll be really forthright here. I don't have a lot of patience for the Jesus is the reason for the season people, because Christmas has ripped off of Saturnalia and Yule and Solstice and all these great parties, 
right? That the, the early Roman church was not stupid. They looked at the best party of the year and they're like, we're going to make this Jesus's birthday. <laughs> and right. that's fine because I think, I think it's awesome actually to place Jesus's birthday right after solstice, right in the darkest time of the year, because I think it makes you really present to what it means for the light to come in the darkness. Like, I think that's really beautiful. Um, but it's not a place where I'm going to like yell at people to be like, if you take Jesus out of Christmas, if you take Christ out of Christmas, all you have left is a mess because Christmas itself, I've really always been much more attached to the party of it. I love the lights. I love the food. I love the family gatherings, the cocoa, the sleigh ride, the music. I love all that stuff. And most of that is not religious, but I've become very attached to the Advent season. Um, because I feel like that is like the countdown of kind of contemplative moving towards hope. Um, I just really mm. love that. I think that it, for me, that's the more religious part of the celebration is Advent. And then once Christmas hits, there's 12 days of partying. Like that's what used to be the 12 days of Christmas, Christmas through Epiphany. Um, we just saw Twelfth Night, the Shakespeare play. And that was written for Twelfth Night, which was like the end of almost two weeks of partying. And it's silly and funny and over the top because that's kind of how the party was. And so I love that, like quiet contemplation and then like this big explosive celebration. I like that. And I like that solstice is mixed in there too. Okay. There's my ramble about Christmas. All right. I feel like it's good. I mean, we. I don't think there was anything like really confrontational about about any of that but also I think it's okay for people to generate that that's what it is for them too absolutely I have no problem with people creating whatever they want it to be for them I do have I get impatient with the war on Christmas conversation like there's a war yeah but I can also understand like where that kind of comes from culturally and whatever I mean we're losing a lot of just what was just what was like common and acceptable. Like I said, Merry Christmas to somebody the other day. And I was like, am I allowed to say that? Like there gets to be a little bit of like ridiculousness around everything too. Like I think, a lot I think, of just what's common and regular and whatever. But I think even that, a lot of that is made up. I've never once had a real live person get offended when I say Merry Christmas to them. Never one time. No, but I have absolutely been told that like work, you're not allowed to say that. Yeah, I can see that more at, because you do. And I also have no problem saying happy holidays because I feel like even as a Christ follower, there's Advent, Christmas Eve, Christmas, Epiphany, New Year's, New Year's Day. Like this is a multiple holiday season, even for me. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. So I do get impatient at um, when people say something like holiday tree, because that is just stupid. Right. Yeah. People get ridiculous about it. Right. Like I said, you know, a menorah is a menorah. It's not a holiday candlestick. It is a menorah. And so a (laughs) tree, unless you're celebrating Saturnalia or Yule, a tree with lights all over it is a Christmas tree. That is what it is. So you can say happy holidays. And that means menorahs. I'm going to have to say what a lovely holiday stick for sure sometime this week now. (laughs) <laughs> no Hanukkah's way over I don't care Hanukkah started like so early yeah, that it, 
it started in November, which is pretty, pretty wackadoo. <laughs> How dare they? Well, I mean, lunar calendar, but it, it is, it doesn't normally land in December. But yeah, you wouldn't call it a holiday candlestick. That's just stupid. So don't say holiday tree. You know, if there's a cookie of a, of a man in a red suit with a big white beard, it's a Christmas cookie. It's not a holiday cookie. Okay, I, this is not remotely related and probably inappropriate, but I have to tell you this anyway. So since we are talking about Hanukkah, it made me think that Jacob has a new friend and he was telling us that he's Jewish, which is interesting in Salt Lake. Like, I mean, this yeah. is a very Mormon community. So I was like, and he's very, the kid's very involved in his church and he's like going to do some like program inside his church. And I was like, that's really interesting. What is that? Anyway, and then after a while, I wanted to tell my mom that um the I wanted to tell my mom that the founder of uh, the CEO of doTERRA was going to leave for three years to I don't know take some role in the Mormon missions thing he's gonna be and I wanted mission yeah, president go he's going to be mission president of an undisclosed mission for three years yep they haven't told us okay. yet which mission all right well there you go and so um but being involved in doTERRA, like that was released that for three years, he'll be, you know, not in that role or whatever. So I was like, great, awesome. But I wanted to ask my mom if she had seen that. And so I go, speaking of Jews, have you heard about this Mormon? <laughs> I just thought it was like the most entertaining thing that happened all week. So there you go. Yeah, that's quite a non-secretor. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but now that's been like the topic at the house all week. Like, speaking of Mormons, yeah. have you heard about this? This uh, of car Jews, over we're here. out of paper towel <laughs> <laughs> right like it just like there you go i don't have enough courage to name the podcast speaking of jews i'll have to come up with another name for it <laughs> <laughs> okay well then maybe we can talk about macaroons or macrons which we can't ever agree about how they're pronounced well i know the difference in the spelling is important but go ahead and talk about your obsession we we should have tied it in when i was talking about france but really my story about I really France. wanted to but then we went to Ireland so yeah it, it turned out to be um it turned out to be a story about Ireland and I'm gonna look up how to pronounce it on the internet I know I asked a chef friend of mine and he insists that they're called macarons and I asked at the um French bakery and I was pretty sure even though it was loud in there that the lady said macaroon I was like no, I mean, I not. thought macaroons were those pastry, like the kind, like that they have um, uh, coconut in them, right? The macaroons are the ones with coconut. So yeah. I just looked it up, and according to Google, macaron is the American pronunciation, and the British pronunciation is really going to make you mad because oh, hold on no. one second, let me play it again. Macaron. It's macaron, <laughs> which is obviously wrong. Macaron. Okay, macaron. I could go with that. Macaron. Yeah, macarons macaron. are French and macaroons macaron. are the coconut ones. I like both of them. Okay. Well, re I don't even think I like them. Like, I remember having them in Europe and being like, yeah, I don't know macarons why this is for macaroons. Because macaroons are the uh, coconut ones. No with coconut. Chocolate. Macaroons. The ones with no coconut. Okay, those are macarons. And they're the little colorful. Yeah. Yeah. They're usually like okay. all kinds of fantasy colors. And then they have something in the middle. They're made, I think they're made with almond flour. Always? I think so. I think that's the classic macaron. Um, I've never like made traditionally. them. Traditionally. Yeah. 
Um, I used to work hmm. with someone who was super into, he wasn't a baker. He was a mechanical engineer, but he loved to bake. And macarons was one of the things that he fiddled with all the time. In fact, he made these ones for um, some party with his friends. And then he told us about it at work. And we were like, where are ours? Where he made them with the cookie <laughs> butter. He made them with the cookie butter from Trader Joe's. Like, holy shit, All that right. sounds delicious. Yeah, egg whites and almond flour is basically what they're made of. I mean, sugar and, and stuff. And how long also. have they been around? I don't know, forever? No, that's not, I don't know if there's been almond flour forever. All right, I'm looking it up. The history of macaron. <laughs> in 1792, two Carmelite wow. nuns in Nancy, who became known as the Macaron sisters, baked and sold the sweets <laughs> to survive during the French Revolution. So there you go. Okay. Anything in Europe well, been around forever. Fair enough. Okay, so I have never been that into them. And then I had one, I don't know. I had one at a very fancy dinner we went out to a few weeks ago. And I've been literally obsessed with them. Like, I can't stop bringing them up. I've been hunting them down. I can testify been, to that. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm like, Lynn's like, so the Jews, and Allie's like, hey, macarons, have you, can, can we get some of those? So, speaking of the Jews, he didn't think of macarons. Them. There you go. Thank you for fixing that. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, you know um, where I'm going with this not funny joke. So the thing is, though, they're hard to get right. So it's easy yes. to eat yucky ones and think, oh, I don't like those. And then when you encounter a good one, you're like, oh, this is amazing. And then you kind of like chase heaven. it. Came like to you my chase, mouth. You yeah. chase the dragon. Right. Because when they're when they're not good, they're yucky. Next time you come to um Arizona, next time you come visit me in Tucson, we will go down near the university because there's a place, there's a macaron bakery right there. Um and you know, Eric and I went years ago to this escape room and there was a macaron bakery across the street. We went on a date night <laughs> and I brought home macarons. And, um, Riley was, I don't know, eight or nine. And I said, I brought home this little treat for you. Um, and she goes, oh, you mean a macaron? I'm like how, <laughs> how, but I guess she had been to one of her friends had a tea party for her birthday and the mom bought one of like those macaron towers. Oh, wow. Or no, no, that's not what it was. No, that's not what it was. I said, I bought this thing and they're really fancy. And I opened it up and she says, oh, I don't care for macarons. That's what she said. I don't care for macarons. Oh, How do you, you know about had them? a good one in that case. To not know, to know you don't care for them. What the hell child? So it was very <laughs> funny because I didn't know she knew about them. It was kind of adorable. So now um, the end. I'm obsessed. The end. Happily ever after. And I guess to tie it in, just believe that appropriate macarons will flow to you. Don't get a scarcity mindset of almond flour and the egg actually kind of heartened. And I do think there's a connection that they were invented during the French war out of survival. Like it is beautiful. It is. And their whole businesses today, like you just described, I mean, there's, there must be one somewhere in Salt Lake because there's like two places in the airport that that's all they sell are and they're like a whole little restaurant thing so how beautiful is it that something that came out of that space was so beautiful yeah I I actually want to read more into it 
um, because I'm wondering if the almond flour thing was part of the survival, if that's what they kind of had to hand, or if flour was in short supply. Like there's all kinds of um, dishes yeah, that are created during war. Yeah. Then, um, because things are in short supply, like we couldn't get this. So we did this and we couldn't get this. And so we substituted it with that. And now it's this amazing thing. One of the funniest ones is mock apple pie. Have you heard of this? No. It's made with Ritz crackers and butter. No, that's disgusting. People say it tastes just like apple pie. Please make it. And we can talk about it on the next week's pod. Podio cast. I kind of don't (laughs) want it. Um, So let's see what's in it. Water, sugar, cream of tartar, Ritz, and lemon juice and cinnamon. What about apples? No, there's no apples in it. That's the whole point is um, (sighs) that it was made out of hang on I'm looking to see if I can find the history it was made out of uh desperation right like oh during winter time when apples were scarce that's what they made it Mm, okay well I don't like apple pie so but apples replaced by crackers it's kind of insane it is all right well with that Merry Christmas yes Merry Christmas and may you have many macaroons And may all your pies be not mock and be beautiful and delicious. And may all your pies be nice. And if you don't celebrate Christmas, happy holidays for whatever you celebrate. Because really, Merry Christmas to you. To be joyful. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've had Jewish friends wish me a Merry Christmas because I know I don't think anybody's really. I agree. The war on Christmas is fake. It's not real. Nobody's coming after Christmas. There's like little weird pockets. Of people that act like bizarre. Most wars that have anything to do with being politically correct. Yeah, it's just dumb. All okay. right. So on that note, we'll see you next time in the ladies' room. In the ladies' room. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to catch us in the ladies' room. You can also find Lynn at A Spacious Life on Facebook, Instagram, and in Clubhouse. And find Allie at Five Billion Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn and Instagram. Mm-hmm.